You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses. The context of this next event is that God had given Moses 70 men to assist him in leadership. That confirmed him as the overall leader. As we saw, Moses had been overwhelmed by the burden of leadership, so he wasn't a megalomaniac who thrived on power, quite the opposite. He would have gladly given it up. But God had chosen him, appointed him, and gifted him to be the man for this time and place. This led to envious feelings from an unlikely place, his own siblings. Miriam and Aaron began to speak against Moses because he had remarried after the death of Zipporah, this time to a Cushite woman. Cush was a descendant of Noah's son Ham, and they settled in the area of Ethiopia. Whether there was any racism on their part, or whether Miriam uh, may have feared that this new wife would have more influence over Moses than she had, only God knows. It was likely just a pretense for a deeper issue. Miriam and Aaron were driven by envy, pride, and ambition. The root issue comes out when they challenge his authority. They say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? In the previous chapter, we saw God coming down in the cloud to speak to Moses. So no, he didn't speak to them in the same way. And he wasn't just a leader elected by the people, but chosen directly by God. So rebellion against Moses was rebellion against God. They were hoping he would share the leadership with them instead of with the 70 elders. But Aaron was already the high priest. Wasn't that enough responsibility and privilege? Perhaps this challenge was coming more from Miriam than Aaron, suggested by her name appearing first and the punishment that followed. Miriam had been used by God to help save Moses' life in Egypt when he was a baby After they crossed the Red Sea, she led in a song of praise, but here was a low point for her. And like all complaints, God heard it. Verse 3, Moses' Humility In light of this power grab, we see a description of Moses' character. It says, parenthetically, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So this verse is often used as evidence that Moses could not have written these five books since it is incongruous for a humble person to brag about their humility. However, the Holy Spirit could have inspired him to record this true statement about himself even against his own inclination to do so. And by doing this he was asserting that their challenge had no basis. He was not trying to keep all the power to himself. Far from it, he wanted help. Another alternative is that this verse was added later, perhaps by Joshua, to explain the absurdity of this challenge. And this is similar to the description of Moses' death, which was obviously added in by someone else in Deuteronomy 34. The evidence of this humility is his failure to retaliate or even defend himself to them. Verses 4 and 5 called to account. The response from God was immediate. He summoned all three of them to come out to the tent of meeting. They did. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. The two of them were singled out and stepped forward. 
I can hear the gulp of dread. When it says the Lord came down, it reminds the reader of Genesis 11.5 at the Tower of Babel, when God came down to deal with the rebellion personally. This was his answer to the attack on Moses. Verses 6-9, to nine, God's choice of leader confirmed. God wanted his answer to be clearly understood, so he prefaced it with, Listen to my words. Then he says, When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. And this was the, his usual method of revelation up to this point in redemptive history. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Moses was functioning as a steward, one who was responsible for the belongings and affairs of his superior. He responds in obedience to God's word. God says, With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. God had a unique relationship with Moses. The idea of face-to-face interaction means that there is no need for a mediator. They speak to each other directly. God doesn't use dreams and visions or riddles, but plain speech. Deuteronomy 34.10 describes Moses this way, Since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And now God not only vindicated him, but praised him. In light of this, he asks, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? They should have shown proper respect for Moses because of this unique privilege he'd been given. As we saw in Exodus 33.18-23, Moses never saw the full glory of God. He wouldn't have been able to see God and live. But he had intimate encounters with God. The anger of God burned against them for this attitude of rebellion and envy, and he left them. Here I think of a parent who is so angry they leave the room while they contemplate the punishment they will mete out. Verses 10 through 13, Punishment and Appeal As soon as the cloud lifted from above the tent, the punishment was evident. Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. When God leaves, evil comes. Miriam was struck with leprosy, but Aaron was not, possibly because that would have affected his ability to perform his duties as high priest, and or because the main instigator in this case was Miriam, which God would have known. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. Aaron included himself in the guilt of rebellion and saw that Miriam was punished on behalf of both of them. He recognized they had been foolish. He knew enough to appeal to Moses as mediator. Moses, concerned for his sister, went directly to God in prayer. He cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. Verses 14 and 15, not so fast. Moses' prayers are often effectual on behalf of the Israelites, saving them time and again when God was ready to destroy them and start over. However, easy forgiveness often cheapens the grace of God. They may not have understood the seriousness of their sin and rebellion if God had forgiven and cleansed her as quickly as he had judged and punished her. So God argues from the lesser to the greater. If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? 
God wanted them to understand that this sin was disgraceful. This means it's shameful and flagrant. It's interesting that God uses the image of being spit in the face, because this attitude by Miriam and Aaron was essentially spitting in God's face. So God says, confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. She needed to accept her punishment. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. Miriam was put outside the camp for seven days, at which point she was presumably cleansed of her leprosy. God did this, again arguing from the lesser, being spat in the face by her father, to speaking out against Moses' leadership, and therefore God's decision in appointing him. And God does the same thing later in Malachi 1.6a. He says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. And in Isaiah 1, 2 and 3, he calls Israel rebellious children who don't even have as much sense as dumb animals who know their master and where to find food. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master and the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So there is no record of another incident like this, so we can assume she learned her lesson, as the nation likely did as well. Later, Moses would remind them of this incident. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam along the way after you came out of Egypt. Verse 16, next move. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? Conflict among believers can arise even from those most dear to us, our family members. This was the case many times in the early church and throughout church history. In such cases, we must take the matter to God. They rebelled against God's chosen man, Moses. We must not reject God's chosen anointed man, Jesus, but follow him humbly. We must also fear speaking against church elders. Moses was a humble man. Jesus was also meek and lowly. Moses did not retaliate or even defend himself to them. The natural response to criticism is to respond in the same way, to answer fire with fire. But believers are to be meek and willing to suffer wrong. When asked to intercede on Miriam's behalf, Moses did it immediately. This is a good example to us to pray for our enemies. He held no bitterness towards either of them, nor did he take pleasure in her punishment. We are not to be bitter or rejoice when our enemy suffers. Jesus prayed for those who were crucifying him, and the first martyr, Stephen, prayed for his murderers. God had previously spoken through visions and dreams to the earlier patriarchs, but he had a special face-to-face -face relationship with Moses. The book of Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. 
This shows the superiority of Jesus as the full and final fulfillment of all earlier revelation. Moses is called my servant by God twice in this chapter and elsewhere. And that's a great thing to be known as. Others that receive that designation are Job, David, the Israelites, and prophets. Even pagan kings like Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar are servants of God in the sense that they are used by him to accomplish his purposes. The ultimate servant of the Lord is the Messiah, Jesus. And we are God's servants and should long to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Moses was called faithful in God's house. The writer to the Hebrews contrasts Moses' faithfulness as a servant in God's house to Jesus, who was faithful as the builder and owner of the house. God left no doubt as to who his chosen servant was, and this was based on the relationship between them. God clearly chose Jesus as his anointed servant, testifying to their relationship three times. Jesus had an intimate relationship with his father and knew he heard him when he prayed. The sin of Miriam and Aaron was public and demanded a public response. When there is sin in leadership, it must be exposed directly and publicly, as Paul confronted Peter in Galatians 2. Moses and Aaron immediately understood the implications of the leprosy God sent on Miriam. She would be banished from the camp and not allowed near the sanctuary, as well as disfigurement and deformity later on. We studied leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13, so please refer there for more detail. But leprosy represented sin and separation from God, as sin stains us and affects our relationship with him, so we are outcasts. Several other times in scripture, it was brought on suddenly as a judgment from God for a particular sin, as in the case of Gehazi and King Uzziah. In the New Testament, Jesus heals or cures many illnesses, but in reference to leprosy, it is always called a cleansing, since leprosy made a person unclean, not ill, according to the Mosaic Law. Leprosy or other infectious skin diseases could potentially spread to contaminate clothing and other people. And this provided an illustration that sin was pervasive and affects others. It showed how essential spiritual purity was to God. When Jesus cleansed lepers, they were then able to re-enter the temple to worship. Sometimes clothing was affected. In mild cases, the clothing could be washed and reused. Other times, it was beyond hope and had to be burned. Discernment was needed to decide which one was the case. Sin brings a stain on all we do, and we approach sinners in different ways. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. Lepers became outcasts of the community and had to live outside the camp with other lepers. Our sin defiles us and separates us from God. Lepers were to disinfect their homes and wash their clothes, but once we are saved, we are restored and reconciled to God. Miriam was forgiven, but still had to suffer the consequences for a week. If we sin after we have been saved, we need to confess our sin and we will be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 is called the Christian's bar of soap. There may still be consequences to suffer, even if we are forgiven. For example, sexually transmitted diseases as a result of fornication. As horrible as the punishment was, it was a mercy from God that he did not strike her dead, as he would do in other cases. 
We must admit that God doesn't punish us as our sins deserve, but he is merciful and gracious because of Jesus. The Israelites waited until she was restored before they moved on. We need to be gentle with weaker believers and help them along. You've been listening to the Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers chapter 13. May God bless the study of his word.